Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, welcome. Good morning. We are glad you're here on this, what looks like it's going to be a really hot day. So it's a good time to dive in. You know, I've always heard that you can't take it with you. And to illustrate that, I mean, some of you have heard me say a few times, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Now, I've said that a few times, and someone finally called me on that. So now I can't say it anymore. But I can still say you can't take it with you. You know, God has blessed us with so much in this life, including our lives. Our lives are a gift, and everything around us. In fact, Jesus says it is simply God's nature to give. I mean, we all know this scripture, or most of us do, for God so loved the world that he gave. And it goes on from there. Those of us who follow Jesus are called to imitate this love of God in our own lives, which means we too are called to love by giving. And there are several ways we can give. Sometimes we use kind of an alliteration of T's, our, our time, giving our time, serving, whatever, our talents, our treasure, our financial resources, our testimony, how has God worked in my life, and our temple, the body, our lives, using them that Jesus bought for a price, using them for his glory. But this morning, I want to focus on the giving of our treasure or, or finances. And some of you are wishing I would have chose one of the other four that we can give. But the truth is, Jesus and the Bible talk an incredibly great amount about money. Sixteen of Jesus' 38 parables were concerned with how we handle money and possessions, almost 50%. About one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels, 288 in total, deal directly with the subject of money. And the Bible has about 500 verses on, the old t- on prayer, just under 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Why? I mean, I think some of us know, but Jesus understood how much money and possessions can tempt us away from God's best plan for our lives. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever we treasure most will have our heart. And Jesus knew that money and possessions have great power to capture our hearts, so he spoke on them often. In effect, he did say that we can't take it with us, but we can send it ahead through our giving and generosity. The Apostle Paul talked about several aspects of giving in a passage in his letter to the church in Philippi. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 10. Or you can use the Uversion Bible app, or if you have neither of those, we've got the notes in the bulletin that you can pull out and use to follow along. Paul's letter to the Philippians is a, is a favorite of a lot of folks. We've even had a couple of studies going on about that. 
because it's, it has this strong tone of joy. It's very uplifting. Even though Paul is writing it from prison in Rome, potentially facing death. And as Paul nears the end of his letter, he expresses gratitude to the Philippians for their financial support of his, of his ministry and reminds them of some very important truths. So chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re- revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now Paul doesn't say why they were not able to support him financially for a period of time. But now that they've been able to once again support him, he's filled with this joy. But notice that his joy is in the Lord, not necessarily specifically directed to them and what they've done. He's not trying to flatter them. He's trying to acknowledge their obedience and faithfulness to God. In other words, they're doing what God wants At the same time, while he wants them to know he's grateful for their financial support, he wants them to understand the real source of his joy, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus in his life, regardless of his financial or life situation, and and he was all over the board in that, having times much, having times little, being beaten, and at other times seeing great victories for the faith. Yet in the midst of all of that, he tells them that he, he knows how to experience contentment. He says, beginning in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul wants them to understand that his his contentment isn't based on circumstances. He can be content with with just a little, or he can be content with a lot. It's irrelevant, really, to how he feels about that. And that may fly in the face of what some of you are thinking, that somehow if you just had more money, or if you had the perfect job, or had a different boss, or you were married to the right person, or you you weren't battling some health issue, your life would then be great. But Paul says his sense of contentment isn't found in anything or any circumstance, but in Christ himself. Notice the power in what Paul's saying here. He is not at the mercy of life, of what's going on, of what's happening to him, for better or for worse, in order to find contentment and peace. And, you know, yeah, some of you may find this hard to believe, but Paul claims it. And a lot of other disciples of Jesus down through the centuries, too, have have also. So for this reason alone, choosing to commit your life to Jesus Christ is worth it. For some of you, that that maybe isn't where you are yet. What's more, it's important to notice that Paul was not born with this or had it magically appear in his life one day because twice in this passage he says he learned contentment. We we think contentment's what I feel when it just somehow something happens good and I, I, I feel okay about myself. But here Paul says he learned he faced all kinds of adversity. 
And there are other passages where he goes into that, beatings and, and, and shipwrecks and, and all kinds of stuff. But, but he also experienced abundance and, and having all he needed. But neither of those were the secret nor the destruction of his contentment. King Solomon, who was one of the wealthiest persons ever to live, discovered the hard way that wealth wasn't the answer. He writes in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Moses warned, as the Hebrews were preparing to enter the promised land, that, that in going into this place, they'd been roaming for 40 years. They hadn't had a home. They were going to come into this place, and God was promising them that, that, that all of the riches of this land would become theirs, that they would become, he warned them about becoming comfortable and rich, because in that they would be tempted to forget or deny God. In Deuteronomy 8, he says, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, he's not saying wealth in itself is wrong, but he's saying when we have it's very easy for us to become self-reliant. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. At the same time, those with less can also battle the temptation for greed, trying to get rich through schemes, through quick rich, rich schemes, lying, stealing, taking advantage of others. And, and here the Bible is telling us in both riches and poverty to let God help us learn to be content. In Proverbs 30, it says, two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me, and give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Kind of reminds us of what we prayed, talked about last night in prayer. Give us this day. In other words, give me what I need. Many Paul makes it clear that contentment comes as we depend and rely on Jesus. In Philippians 13, verse 13, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. One of the great verses of the Bible. And, and some of you write it down. Some of you keep it with you all the time. You claim it in your life. It is an encouragement. But in its context, Paul is specifically talking about contentment and material possessions. He's saying that through having Christ in his life, He's learned how to be content in any situation. He can get through anything and be okay because Christ, not stuff, not money, not fame, not circumstances, is the source of his contentment. Paul isn't focused on his situation, but on Christ. And, and I think that's really important because it's why we talk about spending time in God's Word every day and reading and praying because we get distracted, out of sight, out of mind. It's easy to get, get, our, get going somewhere else. And Paul wants us to continue to keep our focus on Christ, that Christ will never leave us. So he has, Paul says he has everything he needs 
to do everything God is calling him to do. When our, our focus is on Christ, we can be content with our circumstances. As Paul had said to the Corinthians, based on a revelation from Christ to him, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the Lord said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, that's when we discover how, how strong he really is, is when we, are, we, we don't have the resources within ourselves, whether it's emotional resources, physical resources, mental resources, relational resources, whatever it may be. Paul therefore says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content. There's that word again. Content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then, I think he would say through Christ, I am strong. NASCAR driver Jeff Gordon said, either you focus or you end up hitting something really hard. And that's also true of the Christian life. Either we focus on Jesus or we're going to crash into discontentment, into complaining, into deceit, into distrust, into greed. Contentment takes the emphasis off what we have, whether it's a lot or a little, and allows us to focus on who we have and living in line with him and what we're able to do and give for his sake. Paul then returns to what he, was, he began to say in verse 10, acknowledging their support. Verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul helps the Philippians recognize their, their growth in faith in Jesus Christ led to their giving that enabled them to join him in a partnership of his ministry of spreading the gospel. They didn't go to Thessalonica, but in investing in him, they were making it possible. If we're not giving then the alternative is we're really more like consumers or customers than partners. But Paul didn't see the Philippians as consumers, but ones who had grown in their faith to the point that they chose to give, to partner with him. It wasn't a matter of how much they had to give, but that they gave what they had, sacrificially, cheerfully, because they had discovered through Paul giving to them that that was the nature of Christ and his followers, to give. Apparently, some of the other churches Paul had started and, and taught were enjoying the, the benefits of his, of his teaching and care, but weren't really assuming any responsibility for helping to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. So listen, every time you and I give to our church, our church. We're partnering with our church in fulfilling its mission into the lives of not only our church, in other words, not just about us, but about the community and the world. Disciples of Jesus give in order to invest in the work of his kingdom. 
Many of you do that, giving the tithe of 10% of your income. But many more of you don't. In fact, nationally, only a little over 2% of Christians actually tithe. We ran some numbers this week for giving in the first half of, of the year of members and regular attenders, not, not, um, not guests, visitors, or anything like that, but the ones who are here regularly who see Gateway as, as some kind of a church home. And the first chart is just, this is the empty chart, and it's, now let's go back to the other one. Go back. There we go. So, you know, in, in that family units, it's not talking about individuals, but family units, how many give nothing over this, this past six months, they have an average of zero per week. Or $5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 50, 75, 100, 150, 200, 250, 300, 500, 750, 1,000 or more. Now, here are the numbers on the next slide. There we go. Perfect. If you'll notice, 153 family units have given nothing, absolutely zero, who are members or regular attenders. And then 13, 25, 24, 26, 34, 60, and numbers go up and up to there. And, and, and I'm not making a judgment of where anybody is. We didn't look at any specifics. We just pulled the numbers. You can kind of figure it out for yourself. But there's a, there's a significant, you know, this is, this is where most of the work occurs. And especially down in here, it makes us wonder, do they, do they know who Jesus is, what he's done for their lives? Have they looked at all the possibilities of what he offers? Have they heard his promises? Let me add that it's not the case. I'm not showing this to say, hey, we're in trouble financially. Summertime is always a, a, a bit of a struggle because a lot of people are gone and, and some people only give when they're here. That's why we encourage digital giving through online giving, through either ACH or through the website or whatever it can be done all the time versus whenever. But, you know, we have learned how to manage finances uh, the best we can and to project income and expenses. Uh, we know that uh, over... A third, uh, probably close to a third or, well, maybe a quarter of our giving actually comes in in the month of December. So we know we run in the red throughout a good part of the year. But, um, and, and we're within our budget planning. But it's important that every disciple of Jesus in this church body look to see, what has Christ given me? What is he calling me to do? And not worrying so much about what any of us have, but letting him be the source of our contentment so that we can, we can be obedient. Even if you can't jump to the tithe, maybe you can take a step forward and, and keep moving up. And because Paul's going to tell us why this is, it's not just about the investment. The church at Philippi was a young church. And it's likely that most of its members didn't have a lot. But they were focused on Christ and gave generously in support of the ministry of Jesus through Paul's mission. But Paul also reminds them of a really important spiritual truth. 
And that is faithful giving has always been not just a reflection of our spiritual journey, but a way to grow spiritually. This series is Dive In. It's about disciplines. It's about how to help us grow, whether it's reading our Bible or prayer. And what we want you to hear is giving is a part of how God has given us the ability to grow. Paul says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wants it to be clear that he's not seeking the gift for himself or even just for the sake of his ministry that he's doing. As good as that is, Paul's joy in their giving comes from the fact that their giving is going to grow them spiritually, producing more spiritual fruit in their lives. He he wrote earlier in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul sought, in fact, he says he prayed for their spiritual growth that would show itself in them by being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which would lead them to giving more and more, unleashing the love of Christ into into their world, the world around them, to to transform lives. Folks, the point of following Jesus and being his disciple is to become more like him, but not just simply so it's how much I know, but so that it can unleash his love, the love of God, into our world, because that's the only thing that's going to change lives, that's going to change the world around us. In other words, Paul was grateful for the Philippians' gift, not just for what it meant to him personally, but for what it meant about them. That they, in their giving, were displaying the fruit of righteousness, showing Christ's spirit was working in them, growing them spiritually. Giving is one of the most powerful ways for growing us spiritually. It's an intentional living out of our faith in Christ to give rather than to grab or grasp, or hold on to. It's a decision to follow Jesus and strive to be a giver as he gave, as a reflection of his life and, and, and spirit living in us. It's not letting the concerns of this world own us, but proving Christ owns us. And as we give, we see that, that fruit Paul talks about, changed lives around us and even in us. And we also discover that we can trust God with our resources that we're still okay and content. In fact, we're, we're more content and filled with more joy than when we chased after the things of this world. That's why Paul is so excited and grateful for the Philippians' gift. I mean, this is really, this is really important. It shows him that they are growing spiritually and living out their love for Christ by tangibly loving their neighbors through giving. It's why there are places in the Bible in the New Testament that says pastors are responsible for the spiritual growth of their congregation. And we know if people aren't giving, odds are they're not growing. And that means something's wrong in the mix. Either we're not saying it clear enough, or we're not teaching it right, or it's not sinking in, or we're not letting the Spirit work. 
We need to understand it's an investment in the eternity of others. And in fact, that's the only way we can invest our resources in this life to live on into the next life. We can't take it with us. Even if you have seen you all attached to a hearse. But we can send it ahead as our giving invests in the lives of others for the sake of their eternities. But Paul says giving does even more. He says it's worship that brings a smile to God's face. Verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Here he's using imagery from the Old Testament. Paul says their gifts are like the sacrifices the Jews made on the altar, whose, whose fragrance as it was burned, showed an act of obedience and gratitude, became a pleasing aroma that rose to God. Paul says their gifts honored and pleased God as acts of worship, demonstrating their love for God and intentionally showing him that they are putting him first in their lives. It's why earlier Betsy said, and every week when we come to the offering time, we remind you that it's not it's a part of our worship. It isn't just your financial support of the mission and ministry of your church. It is a spiritual act of worship. That's what the Bible says. That's not what Randy says or Betsy says or the arts or, or, or even the church. It's what, what God's Word says. It's worship, just like everything else we do in these services. And I know this may sound strange to some of you, even, even if we say it a lot, but and listen, this, this is going to even sound stranger. You need to give more than the church needs to receive. Because it is a tangible way for you to worship God and demonstrate your faith, your trust in Him. You need to give more than the church ever needs to receive. It's for your good most of all, Paul says. And then he concludes this passage with a wonderful promise in verse 19. And God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Or let it be so. God uses used the Philippians who supplied Paul's needs to him for, to have enough. And, and he assures them God will supply, also supply their needs from his infinite resources. Now, Paul isn't promising them anything they want. It's not about their greeds, but their needs that he's confident God will supply, that enable them as they focus on Christ and his provision, that they will experience contentment and find strength in Christ Jesus for whatever lies ahead. Paul, you know the story of Paul. Paul had, had lived this throughout his life since he first met Jesus on the road to Damascus 30 years earlier. And he spoke the, this to them as well as to us today with a confidence built upon years of trust and confirmation. He discovered firsthand the truth the prophet Malachi had written over 400 years earlier where he said in, in chapter 3, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, this passage is, is, 
Some of you have heard it before. It's very significant because it is the only passage in the entire Bible in which God says, gives us permission to test him. In fact, in other places, he says, don't test the Lord. But here in this place, in terms of our, our financial tithes, he, he understands that for many people, this is sometimes the hardest step. We, we can talk about trusting him. We can come to church. We can try to be nice and not kick the, kick the cat. But ultimately, when it comes to our finances, we say, okay, you're going too far, God. Or I'm not ready. Or I don't know how to do this. Or I'm scared. It's often the last place where we fully trust Christ. And yet it's a place that grows us and blesses us, us blesses us probably about as much as any. And, and here at Gateway, we believe this is true. And so as a church, we're willing to stake our faith on God's word, just as we're asking you to do likewise. So we offered you what we call the 90-day tithing challenge, in which you commit to tithing, giving 10%. Some people say, well, the tithe is just whatever I give. No, the tithe specifically is 10% of your income for 90 days. And if at the end of that 90 days, if you don't believe this scripture from Malachi and elsewhere in scripture has proven true in your life, we will give you back all of your contributions for those 90 days. All of it. Every single bit. Several folks have used this in the past, to realize God's word and promises can be trusted. But sometimes that's why God said, test me on this. And we would, be, we would not be living faithful as a church if we did not make that possible for you. There's a link on the Find It page of our website that takes you to a place where there's more information about how it works and to give you an opportunity then to test God. And, and just, again, we want to know if you're, taking this so we know to, how, to, how to manage our resources. We do this, honestly, because we, we know God can be trusted. He is faithful. Many of us have already discovered that ourselves. But we trust him not to give us everything we want, but provide for you and me to bless us, as Scripture says, until there is no more need need. At the same time, I always like to point out there are lots of great studies about giving and managing your finances God's way on Right Now Media. Uh, and if you haven't set up your free account for that, you can find instructions through our Find It page. But don't take my word for it. Watch as a couple of you share your own experience about giving. Watch. So here recently, we received a letter um, at the hospital that I was working at, Bayer Regional, and the letter said that we are closing the hospital. Um, at first, it scared me, um, but when I went to my quiet place and talked to God, I knew that God had me because I was obedient with my giving. If I don't have the faith that God's going to do something with the first part of money that I give to Him, that I'm ruling myself out of getting any blessings in that area. I feel like just the posture of giving um, 
kind of saying that, hey, first of all, this money or you know your time, whatever, isn't yours in the first place. Um, I think the message that, or, or just the act of you doing that, um, postures yourself towards an, an attitude of worship towards God. I knew that He was going to take care of me, and because of that, that love, trust, and faith that I had, that I have in God, I have only missed four days of not having pay, and that's it. I think both of us, my wife and I, we picked it up from our parents. Uh, they've always done that, and I think once we got married, we decided that it was going to be our own thing to do. My giving started off as when I was a little girl, I basically went to church with my grandmother, and we were told to give. Not taught, but told. And I remember growing up, the scripture around that was, would a man rob God? So I was fearful, I'm like, okay, so Sunday school, all those, I gave my little coins. We give first because the Bible says to give. Um, I think one of the reasons that I give is, first of all, everything that I get on earth, you know, material or time, like it's not mine. What changed was I start learning the Bible for myself. And there is a scripture after what a man robbed God, a beautiful scripture where God basically asked us to test him in our giving. And I had that scripture taught to me. And that's when I said, okay, because to me, I, well, that was about 20 years ago. So I was a bit younger, didn't have as much cray. So I felt like, I felt like um, God was daring me. Hey, I dare you to give to me and see what I do. It's hard when you get your first real job because it's, not, it's no longer, you know, 10% <laughs> of your allowance, it's money. It's, I think it's become easier um, since we've developed a pattern of just doing it now. What I would like to share with others about giving is to do what I did 20 years ago. Um, take on that dare from him. Test him. Um, it's, it's so hard to get caught up into um, not leaning on God for everything. You know, we, we baptize our children. We, 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 we give of ourselves when we serve as greeters or ushers or on the praise team. But test God with your giving. And, and just as the scriptures say, you can stand back and watch the windows of heaven open up for you. Those are just two of Honestly, many stories in our church family. For some of you, it may be hard to believe. But if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we choose to follow Him, trust Him, obey Him. And we take steps of faith sometimes to see if it's true. And this is one case where God's Word says, test me. So maybe some of you this week, that's a place where you need to begin. Or to take a step up. But grow. Don't be satisfied with the status quo. God wants so much more for you, me, all of us.
And so he calls us to dive in. Don't just stick your toe in. You know how you stick your toe in and it's cold and it's miserable? But once you dive in, it's not as bad as you thought it was. And in fact, after a while, it feels really good. I think that's what God's trying to tell us in all of these disciplines. Yeah, it seems hard at first, but trust me. And when we, we make Jesus our Savior and Lord, that's what we're saying. If that's something you need somebody to pray with you about, our prayer team's going to be down here in just a moment, and they would love to pray with you about that. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here today. Myself and some friends, we're going to be out here, and we'd love to just say hello and uh, welcome you to Gateway this morning. Um, and there's several things that were announced earlier that you can sign up for or, or be a part of. Um, this, this focus on discipleship is not a short-term thing. This is what we're doing for the next decade. We believe God is calling us to become more and more like Jesus, and we're going to do whatever it takes, and we want you in that journey, not because it's numbers, but because we believe that's where God is calling you, and we want to help you on that journey. We can't do it for you. We want to partner. So I hope you'll do whatever step you need to do to go further in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for each soul in this place, each soul that you love so much that you gave your son Jesus for us, for me. You gave us life. You gave us abilities. You gave us family and friends. You gave us resources, the ability to work. Help us to be grateful and help us to to trust it back to you, that portion you call us to give, in order to see your faithfulness and to partner with you in this journey and to grow more like Jesus, who gave his life for us. Is our financial giving so much to ask when you have given everything? We pray that you will help us on this journey, Father, each one of us, wherever we are, to take whatever step we need to take to deepen our faith, deepen our trust, to go further in our journey with you as a disciple. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you all next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.